Welcome to the Tribute to Happiness at Work, at Home, in Life podcast. What is happiness? Where do you find happiness? How do you feel happiness? Do you control your own happiness or is somebody else controlling your happiness? Are you living a meaningful and worthwhile life where you experience joy, contentment and positive well-being? Do you feel happiness at work, at home and in life? In this Tribute to Happiness podcast, you will discover what happiness means to people all over the world and how they implement happiness in their life. Here is your host, Hjeden Svenperson, and with him you'll explore these and other interesting topics. Hello and good morning. This is Iceland's Chief Happiness Officer calling. In this episode of Tribute to Happiness, we are going to explore and figure out how emotional intelligence can affect our life, level of happiness and self-satisfaction. Do people with high degree of emotional intelligence better manage feelings like anger, happiness, insecurity and so on? Does emotional intelligence matter more than IQ? Well, let's call a Canadian and talk about emotional intelligence. Hello, this is Teresa. Well, hello, Teresa. This is Hedin from Iceland, Iceland's chief happiness officer. How is life in Canada? Well, this morning it was a little bit chilly, but it's been warming up all day long. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. Um, because, you know, <laughs> Iceland is just changed into winter, so we are not going to talk about that. Okay. But thank you for joining me on the Tribute to Happiness podcast. We met on uh, LinkedIn and we have met on uh, humans first talks and stuff so and you have this approach you are emotional teacher no couch no no you're not couch that <laughs> this all of it it's are you a couch <laughs> I'm a couch yes sometimes it feels like that yeah uh, no a coach a teacher a guide a facilitator a human whatever i mean really the what doesn't like yeah. the title doesn't really matter that much but you have a fun like uh, you have iq plus eq equals tq that's it and i can tell you miss teresa i w like i googled tq and i could not find out what that was <laughs> No, well, it's my initials. Yeah, so but helps. like after but three weeks. Also, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for me specifically, when we add that element of the EQ, the emotional quotient to our already probably well-developed IQ, then our talent improves. Our ability to lean into the fullness of who we are just goes up. So our talent quotient goes up. And organizations, that basically transfers into our bottom line is getting better because we are elevating and using the full potential of each person that's here so that I, i love it I, i was just like i laughed like because i i felt a little bit a little bit stupid i didn't just figure out it was your name <laughs> that's But, okay it's yeah that, it's just it like happens. yeah it happens and you're just like oh it's getting yeah. hot in here it was, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so how about a simple like a, a little in, in like introduction of uh, who 
this Canadian-ness, Canadian lady. I love these kinds of questions of who you are. Sometimes they bother me a little bit because I'm like, well, now I give sort of a biography of, you know, I'm, I'm a human being. I'm an evolution of a human being. Yesterday is not the same as today, nor will it be the same as tomorrow. And, and then some of the things that, you know, maybe define who I am in the traditional sense. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur and I started my own company a year and a half ago because I finally decided that to reach that full level of meaning and fulfillment in my life, I needed to pursue the work piece that I really wanted to pursue. And it wasn't that I wasn't already happy and fulfilled in work. It was that there was another level and I hadn't achieved it yet. And I knew it was there. And so that was the leap I needed to take to get it. And since stepping into that element, complete, a complete new level of happiness and fulfillment in life. I had it already in the personal aspect. And, and so it was the piece of resistance at that period in time. I'm a mom. I have a 14-year-old son. I'm married to my husband, Steve. We've been together 20 years now. Um, I come from a big family, four siblings. I'm one of four. Both of my parents are still alive. Um, Italian, German, French, kind of the Heinz 57 blend of European, Canadian. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was going to ask, isn't that the typical Canadian? <laughs> it's just like pretty, pretty put much, something in a bowl yeah. and <laughs> yeah, unless you're indigenous, yeah. <laughs> right, to the country, then that's pretty much what it happens. Yeah. So what what did you do before you decided to leave the yeah well corporate world or world or? Uh... Yes, uh, I'm incredibly loyal. I was with the same company for 22 years. I'm loyal because it was a fantastic company to be working for. Good Life Fitness in Canada is a very large fitness company. So my education is in uh, kinesiology. And I was fascinated with the body and an athlete from a young age and was always interested in helping people to function better. And so I worked in rehab to rehabilitate people who either had a workplace injury, motor vehicle accident, um, athletes injury where we worked with soccer teams and it was really fulfilling work. And then I had this moment of, I could probably help them on the other end of being proactive, like get your health, your wellness up. And then injuries happen a little less often. So I sought out a career with Good Life Fitness and worked in the fitness industry for 22 years, 16 of which was dedicated to the learning and development department. So that sounds awesome. Was yeah. It was awesome, yeah. But because mm -hmm. also twenty two years, that is totally unheard of today. I think because can be it can be yeah. I think maybe it's our generation that is the last one to have to work so long <laughs> in one company. Mm -hmm. But yeah, maybe. But the pursuit of happiness at work, that's a good segment or segue to go, like talk about that. So what is it like, how can you, can we make a link between the emotional, uh, what do you call it? Quati, kushi. Yeah. Uh, emotional quotient or um, emotional intelligence. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. So how, how can we link? Because of course the tribute to happiness is not bound to just talk about happiness, but like because you you have a, a very exciting view on a, how a person is and just by what you were saying in the start beginning, it was just like, yes, that's fascinating because you resonate, because you can feel the connection. So 
when you decided to take the leap, like mm-hmm. to find the, your peace, like because, like you said, that maybe yeah, you were happy. Your happiness at home was there, but you there was something missing maybe at work. So, can you tell the audience a little bit about how you perceive like happiness at work or well-being at work or how how we can use emotion at work, like? Oh, yes. That's a big question. question. Yeah. Wonderful questions. And there's different vehicles that we can jump in to explore. Because I think the first one is, I read a book in 1997 called Happiness is a Choice. And that statement in and of itself is really quite telling. Is my happiness part of my personal motive? Meaning I choose to be happy. So if I choose it, then I will seek out things that create that experience for me. But that means I have to be aware of when I'm happy and when I'm not. So emotional self-awareness. Yeah. <laughs> can I pick up on the nuances of what does happiness even feel like to me? And can I tell when I'm venturing away from that emotional state and what might be pulling me in that direction or how I might be pushing myself in that direction? And there's lots of layers that we can explore when we start to think about personal responsibility for our mood, personal responsibility for our emotions. Do I live in a space and a life where I believe that I'm responsible for it? Or do I give all of that responsibility away to other people? Meaning people make me happy or make me unhappy. I choose to live a life by design where I pick how I feel (laughs) rather than a life by default, which is giving the power away to everyone else. And if we seek out the emotional intelligence side of thing is I'm responsible. I choose because then everything I do is within my own power and control. How people behave has no influence on how I, how I behave. I don't get to blame anybody for that. And so my happiness becomes something I'm personally responsible for, which I mean, between you and I and everybody listening is a much better approach to achieving happiness than the alternative. But how, like, in this uh, time of COVID and stuff, how, how, like, I have a brother, and he is, he was talking about he was so depressed, and I asked him, like, isn't it because you watch every newscast that is mm-hmm. 24-7? Like, try to just stop it, and you will feel better, because you are not watching and listening to all of these horror stories. So you, like you say, you choose how... You are like the other ones. They are not like you choose. I will wake up this day and say, this is a fabulous day. Yes, it's consumption, right? So whatever I'm going to consume into my body will influence the state of my body. And most maybe most often what people consider in consumption is what I eat. So if I eat healthy foods, my body is healthy. Mm. If I consume unhealthy food, my body is unhealthy. If I consume unhealthy social media or media period, my body, which includes my mind, becomes unhealthy or unwell. If I consume good news, feel good stories, positivity, gratitude, kindness, then what ends up happening to the climate internal? Mm. It becomes those things, right? Which also provides what we would call the hormonal armor to the stress induction. So when I am exposed to social media or media, that is difficult. COVID-19 is very difficult. People dying across the world, decisions being made that may conflict with our own value system. That is difficult news. And it doesn't mean that we should not be aware of it 
and should not absorb it, it means that we have to be aware of how it influences us. And everyone has a different consumption tipping point. So some people are naturally more resilient, that they have a lot of good stuff in their life, which means they can they might be able to consume a little bit more of the negativity and it not negatively impact them, where others may have a lighter tolerance to it and it impacts them much easier. So for example, personality-wise, if I'm an empath, someone who absorbs the emotional states of other people and I consume negativity on a regular basis, then that's probably gonna be my state. But if I'm not an empath that kind of bounces off of me, and then I'm probably not as impacted as much. We really have to know ourselves and know our limits. But how is it when you are coaching then people in, on the uh, emotional level? Like uh, if mm-hmm. they have something bad in their luggage from their past, mm-hmm. like from the upbringing and stuff, like maybe alcoholism or like just mm-hmm. bad things. How how do you tell people to dive in or, or find some, like do you say to them the past, doesn't matter because you are today or no i never say that (laughs) no it's just like and i can speak in that absolute i actually never say that to people because if it's showing up today it's here for a reason so there's something that they have not resolved or figure out or learned from that experience yet that is persisting today and so there's a need for them to be able to explore it now the distinction i make clearly out of the gates when someone has past traumas that I'm also not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And so, you know, talk therapy is one of the most powerful. It's why coaching is sometimes one of the most powerful steps for people to take because it provides the space for people to talk about things. Mm -hmm. And a coach can often ask the next question that allows someone to consider a space or a place they hadn't yet. And that might peel away another layer and a deeper layer of knowing and awareness until it comes to that part where the individual becomes aware of how the past impacts the present and then chooses something different. So if my past trauma shows up today in that I express fear in front of people who are large in stature, because maybe I was attacked by someone who was big in their stature when I was younger. And so now when I'm faced with something like that, I go into immediate shutdown, fear and flight. When I'm aware that that's what's happening and I'm aware of the emotional memory that comes up, what I do in emotional intelligence is I work on skills like my emotional self-awareness, my emotional expression and assertiveness plus flexibility, which is my ability to shift my emotional state. If I'm aware that this comes from my past and that past person isn't in front of me, it's just somebody who's big in stature. That big in stature can also mean teddy bear. It doesn't always mean attacker. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I give new meaning or alternative perspectives, broaden my perspective, then what I do is I create different emotional memories to choose from. So I don't react in the response to the only one I've had for years to come. And that's how we grow our emotional intelligence, which also would directly impact our well-being. So when when people are reacting to something at work, for example, they like they then it is like it's a factor of a lot of things because it's your upbringing and how you perceive things and stuff like you're saying, big and and powerful or something. So how can you like? But when when people because we are talking about um, a lot of times that maybe the younger generation they are very like what's in it for me. 
and and stuff like they they don't participate in like they how I'm going to say it without like getting every younger can, uh, generations on my back in the future you know well, maybe we just use the word sometimes some people sometimes some people yes that like they 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 don't do anything because they always ask like what's in it for me because when you're pursuing happiness at work if your abilities are like who you are and how you are perceived at work then you must like how can you get a point over across to the managers that i have something i want to give something i want to be trusted like how how is it that your in emotional intelligence is it like a mirror like how you can be perceived if you are like do your body postures and like now i'm sitting and i and my arms are crossed and i'm just like okay teresa talk <laughs> it's not right. it's, it's not giving and you are not like it's about giving and receiving do you know what i mean so i do know what you mean yes so how emotional yeah emotional expression is a skill within emotional intelligence right but and but the whole realm of emotional intelligence we're talking about here is self-expression and and the three skills in self-expression are emotional expression assertiveness and um, independence and so emotional expression is our ability to articulate what we're feeling and the beliefs that underlie those feelings and every association we may have with that belief. Assertiveness is defending personal rights and values in a non-destructive, non-offensive, socially responsible way. And oftentimes we'll confuse assertive with aggressive or passive aggressive. And the, the nuance there is socially acceptable. So if I'm going to defend my personal rights and values, I need to do it with a body language and a tone that accurately articulates the emotion I connect with those values and rights. So I don't generally connect anger with a value system. So if my value is kindness and someone's behaving in conflict to kindness, I don't behave in anger. That would be in conflict to my own core value. So when I articulate it, I communicate from kindness that this is my core value, not from anger that this is my core value. However, when someone behaves in conflict, I have a belief system and all of a sudden the narrative starts to roll. This person doesn't respect me. I can't believe they're behaving like this in the workplace. How dare they? They're the CEO of the company. And now all of a sudden my narrative drives a new emotion. And that new emotion drives behavior. And so what we see outside is the body language of arms crossed and people yelling and butting heads. And now we're wondering like, where did all of that come from when we just disagreed if we should, you know, take a right or a left turn? Because people are bringing everything with them. And most often than not, what comes with them is inaccurate filling in of stories. You behave in a particular way, arms crossed. I fill in the story of what that means. And it doesn't mean what you intend. And because we're not emotionally expressing well and communicating with each other and asserting in a socially responsible way, all of a sudden, what I think you're doing is an ungenerous assumption of your character and your intention, as opposed to giving it a generous one. So if I, I like, because like the social connection, because it's now, now getting, so, like we are always on computers, we are talking together, we are talking to each other via email or like, thank God for Zoom and, and uh, Teams and whatever we have like now in these days. But 
assumptions. You you yeah. are talking about assumptions. How how is it that people are so afraid to confront? Like if you say something, and I will say, I would like, why did she say that? And I would go home and like, uh, all mm-hmm. of a sudden, this little assumption, the next day is like a three hundred elephants in the room, and you are just like, Teresa, yesterday you, and you are just like. What? No, I no, that was not what I meant. <laughs> I didn't mean that at all. Yeah. In all likelihood, we don't have a relationship that's built on compassion and trust. And so instead of me saying, hey, wait a minute, what you just said, could you clarify what you meant there? So instead of me just saying that to you, I internalize and I go, oh. And then in all likelihood, there's also a low level of self-regard and emotional self-awareness on the individual's part. So number one, we don't have a strong enough relationship where I feel comfortable doing that. Number two, I personally am lacking in emotional self-awareness. So I'm not even aware that this is actually what's happening. I got emotional and I told a story and the story is driving more emotion. And my own level of self-regard, how I respect myself, my inner feelings of strength and confidence and happiness and well-being are low. And so you put these all together and you have the exact scenario that you described. How important is it when you are, like, if you want to live a life of happiness or well-being or whatever we are calling it today, like, Mm -hmm. you train a lot. I know that because you you talked about running and stuff like because when you tell people to exercise Mm -hmm. then all of like and people start assumptions about well I don't play soccer I don't play football I don't play and I am not a gymnast and stuff like why is it that we have in our vocabulary like why isn't just a walk exercise do you know what I mean? Like, well, it is. What, 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 it is. What, yeah, but why does people not take that in as a exercise? What mm-hmm. happened? Do you know? Like, if you, because I find you very like you are talking always talking about you are running and you are thinking like that is your emotional like that is your way of maybe getting together with yourself in a sense. Yes, very much so. But and I like like just walking because then I just can embrace the environment i can be with mm-hmm. a mindset here today and stuff but people always like no that's not exercise why why do you think why do you think that is like people are there yeah it's you know our belief system things yeah. we were raised on things that we learned things that we decided creates for us oftentimes then we live in absolutes We've decided this is what is and what isn't, what uh, what exercise is and what exercise isn't. We've decided what that is and we've fixed our mindset, meaning there's no other option and no one can convince me otherwise. And as soon as I become fixed in my mindset, then my emotional responses to those will be fixed yeah. and I will behave in autopilot under those emotions. Yeah. But if I'm willing to navigate towards growth mindset and if I'm willing to broaden perspective of you know there's a range of what would be considered exercise there's a range in diversity there's a range in inclusion there's a range in equity there like if I seek to broaden which is in essence a growth mindset 
than my emotional vocabulary, my emotional literacy, my emotional spectrum can also be just as broad. Do you think a pandemic like COVID has brought a new perspective of like this, that you can do a lot of things? I think for some people it definitely has because it's required people to be a little bit more creative in their problem solving. Like my hands are, are bound. I can't do some of the things I used to do. And yet this is an important element for me. So how am I going to go about doing that? And for some people, it's definitely sparked curiosity, creativity, problem solving, because it's allowed them to go, oh, that was really critical for my well-being, my wellness, my happiness. And I've noticed since I haven't been able to do it, I don't feel so good. And so they've made that connection. And for other people, no, it hasn't. So in a sense, it's it's, I I find it like, don't want to be like but i i think the pandemic it was a good because it has made us all think and what will we what what is our purpose in life what what are we accepting regarding to employee and employment and stuff so it's just like because you know you have something of value but then again the, your belief system i mean i have met people that they their belief system are in the roof and we are just like yeah but you are not so-and-so like you have to pull them down in a sense mm-hmm. so this is fascinating talk but I, w- I really now i'm as i'm thinking and talking to you you mentioned in uh, several of our hangouts with human first mm-hmm. when you were running in the morning do you know what mm-hmm. story i'm going to talk about mm-hmm. and then you met this man <laughs> and you try to be like what everybody does when you're running or walking you just like hello or good morning or you're you're polite <laughs> but he never mm-hmm. answered back <laughs> can you tell yeah, li- like still hasn't <laughs> no, still hasn't yeah like uh, what what is it that like i i found it so fascinating what got through your mind when you were like when you got home and you were just like why i'm polite i'm running there and i i have like now i have seen it for three years and i always hello <laughs> Well, here's the thing. I try not to ask the why question because why is often a very emotion-based response. Why would they do something like that, right? You can almost hear it in in sometimes the asking of the question. Like, why did they think that? Why did they? It's it's a very, uh, it's a triggering question. So I prefer to begin with questions like, I wonder, I wonder what was going on in their day today. I wonder what kind of things they manage with on a regular basis. Uh, I wonder what, you know, their reality is like. I wonder what they're hopeful for. I wonder what they're thinking about when they're on their walk. And because their response to my hello has nothing to do with me. So if I if I absorb it as what's wrong with them, what's wrong with me, then the whole intention behind saying hello is very self-serving. Yeah. I love and this. I want Right. And, and, and so, I mean, when I say hello, I, I just say hello to people when they say hello back, boy, it really does. Like I noticed the difference that, Ooh, that's another little jolt, a, mm. a layer jolt, but I already get a jolt when I say hi to someone and look in their eyes and smile. It's an expression of my joy an expression, of my humanity expression of my love. It's good to get that out in the world. Right. It feels good mm. to do that. When someone returns it, it's like an amplifier to it. When someone doesn't return it, it's still out there and it still felt good. If I let it by choice detract from the fact that my intention was to amplify happiness, 
then all of a sudden I really need to consider what was my intention in the first place. And that might unlock some looking into, I'm not really quite happy and I'm looking for other people to make me happy. Mm. If happiness is my choice and I'm empowered for it, how do I go about getting it for me? How do I go about cultivating it from the inside rather than trying to get it from the outside? Because if I have a full well internally, yeah. doesn't matter what's going on around me. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. But do you think that, like, I don't know if I ask. Okay, you you can maybe answer for your community or your town sure. or Canada. I don't know if you want to answer for the whole of Canada. Is no, it perceived? Not. Is it perceived a bad thing if you show happiness at this time because of COVID? Like. Or, or like, if you do, people say like, "Why are you so happy about? What are you so happy about?" Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely, I know what you mean. But I and I believe that that's the same, regardless of am I talking about COVID nineteen and someone's experience in that, or someone just lost a parent, or a best friend, or lost their job, and so they're feeling sad, despair, grief, and loss, which is some of the common feelings out of COVID. So what are you so happy about? Oftentimes sadness and grief is considered the opposite spectrum to happy. And, you know, if I walk into that space and negate the fact that socially the other person isn't there yet, then I'm I'm not really socially aware, which is an element of emotional intelligence. And so what I would do is I would discretionarily use my joy so I would I would know how to temper that down. I wouldn't walk in with a spring in my step and hey everybody, how you doing? I got a joke for you. you like you wouldn't just do that. No, you won't. No, you so, would temper it and yeah. you'd go in this moment. What is socially acceptable for me to do and honors the other individual is to then behave in this way. Flexibility is an emotional intelligence skill set. So we adapt our emotional state to the surroundings intentionally. Oh, yeah. But how is how is Teresa like happiness at at home? How how is how is uh, like you have a husband, you have a teenage boy, which must be like incredible. Yes, <laughs> with all that comes it with is. that, <laughs> it is. It's incredible. Well, I so, remember being a teenager. Oh yes, so. yes, uh-huh. we we all <laughs> have been there. So, but what what do you do to like what do you guys do to perceive happiness at home? So you can like, okay, you can't be coaching every time, and and you're probably your ma- husband and son. They are just like, can you be a mother for a while? <laughs> It's funny it, that we've had this conversation in the last six eight weeks of, and I'm, mom or Teresa, yeah. you know, I I don't need the emotional intelligence coaching right now, and so I took the opportunity to describe because we've now named it that I'm an emotional intelligence coach in my work does not actually erase the fact that this is how I've had conversations for years. Like, how do you feel? And what do you think about that? Where does it come from? But because I'm a coach now, you relate it specifically to my work. If I hadn't, you wouldn't be saying stop doing that from the work perspective, because it would just be a normal conversation because it has been before. So I pointed out to them something that the the part that was different was naming it as a job. 
the part that was different was not that I had those conversations or asked them those questions. That's always been around. I've always done that for as, as long as they have both known me. Yeah. Yeah. But how how it, it's it, it is also like when you are working with people that you are on your own tool or you you like you can't be you can't like <laughs> you can't sh- shape shift when you're coming home and just like now I'm going to be a bitch. <laughs> so, Heath and I agree with you because for me I have found my why and the expression of that purpose in the work that I do in in my life. And, and so that alignment, 360 degrees in what I do, means there isn't an off switch. When I've had other jobs before, the job had an off switch. I enjoyed the work. It was fulfilling and meaningful. It used my talents and strengths. I went to it. It was joyful, created moments of happiness for me as well. I felt fulfilled. And when I came home from work, I, I was able to go off. Yeah. Now it's just who I am. This is, I think for me has been the evolution of that next step is, oh, this is the thing I give to the world. And so it just so happens that sometimes people pay me for it. Yeah. But what Mm -hmm. do you guys like to maintain? Like, what do you, are you a close family or do you like? Yeah. So we, the things we like to do together to that strengthen our relationship is, you know, we make sure that as often as possible, we have meals together. Now that we're home, if we can have a breakfast, a lunch and a dinner together, great. We always have dinner together and we sit around that dinner table to talk about our day and our experience. We do that throughout the day as well. We intentionally take breaks and go seek out the other people in the house and ask them, you know, what's up, what are you doing? What's next on your agenda? Um, we are a touching family, so there are lots of hugs and kisses and time spent together sitting and talking about life in general. We take our dog for a walk together. We exercise together. We spend time in the backyard doing household chores and renovations together. Um, our quiet moments, even when we're reading, sometimes I will go and sit directly beside my son when he's reading and I'll read because we can do things in so- like things in solitude this is for me in quiet right beside each other because there's a there's a different energy of connection that exists underneath that and then we also love to watch movies yeah yeah or play cards and board games who doesn't yeah Yeah. all of that kind of stuff right where we get to look each other in the eye and laugh and smile and do weird stuff spontaneous dancing and singing yeah and goofing off yeah and goofing off yeah we're i i do believe that you know my family my husband my son my dog we are genuinely happy and well individuals and so that's what our household is like it is not to say that we don't have moments where we disagree and we have what would be a discussion it's very rare that people raise their voice in this house like very rare unless we're loud when we laugh we're not loud when we disagree no, but it's yeah. I think it's also unhealthy not to disagree. Correct, because we are you individuals, yeah. and we look at the world from different perspectives. It's okay to disagree. Yeah. That doesn't mean I can't seek to understand, because empathy is the skill of understanding someone's perspective, even when I think it's ridiculous. I need to get to the space of understanding it, and then behaving with respect to that understanding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well said. But happiness in life, is that just like, how 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 are we 
like we have this crisis or like do we just close off all the negativity or how can we like when you are I have twins they are 19 they are very aware of there are something happened in the world and we are just like we have been there before but that doesn't help that for them yeah. here and now they are like their life is in a potential danger or like <laughs> that mm-hmm. that is the negative thing or baddest thing that i can t- talk about but how do you like h- happiness in life how can we change it how can we get people to stop and be like what we have been talking about the emotional feelings the emotional stuff that like how can we just say stop pause for a moment think about it do you know what i mean I do. And, and I would offer that something that might be helpful for people to do on their own and do with their family members is really try to balance reality testing and optimism. So reality testing is objectively looking at what's really going on. And sometimes what's really going on, we're looking at from a global perspective and we're saying, oh my goodness, look at all of these huge numbers and how many people are dying and so on and so forth. And we look at that and we make that our reality. When we reality is more so we need to bring it to our community that we live in and look at what's happening within my community because when we look globally risk is very high when we look community wise we get different kinds of numbers that also make us feel a little bit different yeah sometimes the risk goes even higher because where we live happens to be a very high risk area but sometimes that risk almost drops off the planet because we're like oh turns out in my community my city the risk is actually quite low and we're doing all of these very observable, action-oriented things to keep our risk low. Excellent. That is reality testing. Optimism is remaining that positive, hopeful outlook that what we are doing is moving us in a direction of um, positivity. So the healthy distractions or the healthy break is an important element when we have something like a pandemic anything that has these drastic swings of up and down and up and down. We're good. We're really bad. Things are really good. Again, things are really bad again, things because we're on the emotional roller coaster and, and a healthy sort of distance of saying once per week, I'm going to take a look at how the numbers are going globally. And then once per week is good. Why do I need to look at it every single day? If I'm an immediate risk, then what's the plan? I go to immediate help my physicians in my community, so on and so forth, right? That that sort of um, uh, narrowing the gaze a little helps sometimes with our reality testing and optimism for what's our current reality. When we broaden the gaze too much, then that sometimes where our emotions sort of take over and being able to recognize that what is the tipping point for me as an individual? How we started our conversation. Where's the tipping point for me? What am what can I tolerate before my emotions get the better of me? Knowing that part will let you know when you need to shift your lens. Fascinating. That was the best quote or saying in the uh, like we have to end this. And that was <laughs> fascinating. Oh good. <laughs> I like Teresa, I think I can't thank you enough for wanting to be on this small podcast of mine from the tiny island of Iceland. But oh, I, I have a little challenge for you. 
Okay. You know, because I come from Iceland, mm. and I have this thing about the Icelandic words. I was mm. maybe I want to get you to say one word. Can you say Tálknafjörður? Tálknafrúr. It's really hard. There's some letters in there that are silent, aren't there? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this. I'm such an... <laughs> I'm, I'm sometimes... I, I tease people. Well... You can't be like, you have to smile and you have a big smile on your face right now. So I'm happy. So Teresa, thank you very much for uh, your participation and I hope your day will be great. Thank you, David. This has been the Tribute to Happiness podcast. Tune in for next week's episode. You'll find us on social media.